guess I gotta get this part to my fashion. Oh, oh, oh. If I'm gonna tell it, then I gotta tell, tell it all. Greg Boyd says the quest to feel certain becomes an idol when a person's sense of significance to God and security before God is anchored not in their simple trust of God's character as revealed on the cross, but in how certain they feel about the rightness of their beliefs. In the year 2000, I was 19 years old, living in a small village in southeastern Africa. And we visited a small village near a lake in Mozambique called Mitawa. When we first entered the village, uh, we were taken to the home of the chief of Mitawa. This was the right practice and when you're ready to go into minister into a village. And as we sat on tree stumps, uh, we were surrounded in the, by this bamboo courtyard. And we told the chief why we were there and asking for permission to minister in the village. And one of the relatives of the chief took a seat right across from me on a different tree stump. And uh, this young man, probably 28 or 29, uh, suffered from elephantitis of the foot. And so his, his foot uh, had this disease where it grew large in size and wrinkly and callous like that of an elephant. And the man's foot and even lower leg had grown so large that he was unable to walk. One among our group suggested that we pray for the healing of this man's foot. And the chief and the man were kind enough to allow us to do so. So a dozen or so other people got together and we prayed for the young man. And at the beginning of the prayer time, one of the missionaries we were with stood up and read a statement from Jesus. According to your faith, it will be done to you. He then told us that if our faith was free of doubt, this young man would be healed. The implication was that if we doubted, he would not be healed. So as we entered into prayer for this young man, everyone in the courtyard felt this pressure to make ourselves certain that this man was in fact going to be healed. After a couple minutes of praying, I began to get really uncomfortable. Uh, I began to, I, I got this image of the lion and the Wizard of Oz, right? Where he says, I do believe in spooks. I do believe in spooks. And it, it, this is that video right there. This is it, the lion who's who's trying to work himself up into believing uh, something. I do believe, I do believe. It occurred to me that this is what we were doing. We were trying to talk ourselves into becoming certain, as if faith was some sort of psychological gimmick. It made me wonder what kind of God would leverage the disability of this young man on how well we were to perform this mental gymnastics. What kind of God would do that? This man's well-being, this man's ability to walk, all is dependent upon us becoming certain that he'll be healed or not. This mindset or this model reduces faith to mind games in which we try to convince ourselves that our beliefs are true against maybe what the evidence warrants. Is this what faith is? is certainty of beliefs, is that what faith is? Because if so, then doubt is of the devil. Now, maybe, maybe this is true. Maybe. But I doubt it. <laughs> if you want a doubt-free existence, you chose the wrong species to be a part of. It is innate to the human experience. Jude, verse 22, says this, Be merciful to those who doubt. Some of you have been in religious settings where you have not felt free to express your doubts. 
that maybe you're just not believing hard enough. Be merciful to those who doubt. Paul says in 2 Corinthians, we live by faith, not by sight. When we think of faith and doubt, we think of them as opposites. But here in 2 Corinthians 5, 7, this is the perfect place to condemn doubt. We live by faith and not by doubt, but that's not what Paul says. It says, no, we live by faith, not by sight. So here, it appears that seeing something and knowing something for certain is actually the opposite of faith, not doubt. Doubt is not the opposite of faith. Certainty is. Certainty is the opposite of faith. And the Bible says that without faith, it's impossible to please God. It's not certainty. As a pastor, some think that we're immune to the doubts that often pervade the recesses of our minds. Well, you're a professional Christian. You can't, you don't have any doubts or questions. Doubt is, it's a dangerous thing for us pastors to admit because people often think that we have all the answers. And so if we're not certain, then it gives people to, the permission to not be certain as well. And certainty sells. Everybody come on in. We're right. They're wrong. I know for a fact. Just listen to me. Look to me. And you too can have all the right answers. You know what doesn't sell? I'm not sure. I think it's more honest. But it's not the fastest way to grow your church. So just to kind of dispel any notion that I or any pastor has all the answers, let me emphatically say, I'm not certain. John Oldberg says this, if you, want, if you wait until all doubt is removed before you act, you'll never take a job, you'll never get married, you'll never follow God. I agree. If you wait until all doubt is removed before you move, you'll never take a job, you'll never get married, you'll never follow God. When I got married, there was no doubt-free guarantee that I made the right decision. Okay. I thought it was the right decision. I knew I was marrying up because my wife Sarah told me I was marrying up. Uh, all men marry up. But there was no guarantee. Many people ask me, when did you know? When did you know for sure Sarah was the one you were going to spend the rest of your life with? When did you know beyond a shadow of a doubt? And my answer never satisfies them. It, it never goes, yeah, that's, that's awesome. This is what I always say. I, as, I was a youth pastor for 11 years, uh, and high school students get in these relationships, and they, they, they think they're getting married, right? If you're in high school in your relationship, good for you, but, you know, it's probably not going to make it. Uh, <laughs> these high school students come up to me, and they're like, when did you know Sarah was the one? When I said I do before God and my family and friends. Biblical faith isn't about feeling certain. It's about a willingness to commit to living for God in the face of an uncertainty. That's biblical faith. We need to accept that uncertainty and doubt is simply part of what it means to be human and to trust that God's love for us, revealed most perfectly on Calvary's cross, isn't dependent on on how certain or uncertain we may feel. 
God's love for us is, God's love for you is not dependent upon how certain you are of your beliefs. The God revealed on the cross isn't the God who's impressed with people's ability to make themselves feel right and certain. He's rather a God who wants us to simply trust him in the face of uncertainty. Lord Tennyson once said this, there lies more faith in honest doubt than in half the Christian creeds. Isn't that true? In Mark 9, there's this boy who is demon-possessed and his father is talking with Jesus. And in speaking uh, about whether he believes God can heal a son or, or not, the father tells Jesus, I do believe. Help me with my unbelief. And I just find that so beautiful. I, I do believe, Jesus, that you can heal my son. Help me with my unbelief. Jesus heals the child of this doubting dad, not because of his great faith, but because of his little faith. He wasn't certain. Jesus is the ultimate portrait of God, and he never condemns doubt. He says, rather, if you have the faith of a mustard seed, itty-bitty, if you just got a mustard seed-sized faith, you can move mountains. Mustard seed faith won't score very high on the certainty meter. But we don't put our faith in faith. We put our faith in God. We don't put our faith in prayer. We put our faith in God. If prayer becomes your good luck charm, it can become an idol. I've seen it happen. And let me just clear the air about something. I really feel like this this is going to speak to some of you in here. It's normal that when you go through something difficult, you doubt God. Okay? That's normal. You're not a bad person. You're not a bad Christian. Does someone need to hear that this morning? It's normal that when you go through something difficult, you doubt God. I think the marriage metaphor is much more accurate and beautiful way of seeing faith and doubt. The vows of marriage are not so much affirmations of what one believes will take place, but rather promises that one will work towards ensuring that it will indeed happen. It's a, it's a future promise, not a present certain promise. To decide for marriage, knowing that all the things that could happen, that could conspire against this union, is to truly make a daring and authentic decision. The only type of decision worthy of the name, covenant marriage. Here we see that doubt provides the context out of which real decision can occur. And love is tested, for love will say yes regardless of uncertainty. A love that requires contracts and absolute assurance in order to act is not love at all. In the same way, the believer who who encounters serious doubt does not renounce his or her faith, but rather uses it as an opportunity to affirm it. We may call this the acknowledgement of doubt, this a Holy Saturday experience. And I've, I've got a graph here. Uh, Holy Saturday is the term that refers to the 24 hours nestled in between the crucifixion of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus. This day marked a moment of great doubt and uncertainty for the followers of Christ, right? They put all their hope, they, they left everything to follow him, and now, behold, he's nailed to a Roman cross. 
and then it's silent. It's silent. They pray, God, what's the meaning of this? Where are you? And a whole day goes by. Saturday, they don't hear from God. There's no angel visitations. They're just left in this moment of, did we waste our whole lives following this Messiah who was just nailed to Calvary's cross? Yet it is precisely in the midst of a Holy Saturday experience that the decision to follow Christ becomes truly authentic. A faith that can only exist in light of the victory and certainty is one which really affirms the self while pretending to affirm Christ. For it only follows Jesus in the belief that he's conquered death. Yet a faith that can look and stare at the horror of the cross and still say yes is one that says no to self in saying yes to Christ. If one loses one's life only because you believe you're going to find it, then you're not really giving anything up. If to truly lose one's life, one must lay that life down without regard to who finds it. Only a genuine faith can embrace doubt. Such a faith does not act on self-interested reasons, such as fear of hell, you know, excited for heaven, but simply acts because it must. A real follower of Jesus would commit to Jesus at the crucifixion, on Silent Saturday, and at resurrection. For when we can say that we will follow God regardless of uncertainty involved, then real faith is born. For love acts not whenever a certain set of criteria is met, but rather love acts because it is in the nature of love to act. There's a benefit of the doubt. We've heard this phrase. And like Brad, I googled what it meant. A favorable judgment in the absence of full evidence. That's what Wikipedia says. So it has to be true. <laughs> a favorable judgment in the absence of full evidence. There's this amazing story that demonstrates this in the Old Testament. The story in Daniel chapter 3 of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And there's these three young men who are serving God in Babylon. Everyone around them follows other gods, and they have all been so pressured to follow other gods. And, and so they make it a law that anyone who doesn't bow down to the gods of Nebuchadnezzar, to the gods of Babylon, shall be thrown into a fiery furnace. And so these three men who follow God are brought before the fiery furnace. Daniel 3, it says this, verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to give you an answer concerning this matter. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But even if he does not, let it be known to you, O king, that we are not going to serve your gods of worship, the golden image that you have set up. This is faith and this is doubt. This is the moment. Their life is on the line. The most powerful man in the universe has them by their throats. The furnace is turned up so hot that the guards who were charged with opening the door die just by touching the door. It is hot in there. And these three men of God declare that our God is able to deliver us. It says their God is able to. They're not certain. They don't say God will deliver us. They say our God is able to deliver us. Then they give us this caveat here. Even if, 
Even if he doesn't, we want you to know, O king, we're still not going to worship your gods. That is honest. That's faith. For these three young men, it was verdict first, evidence second. What does that mean? It means that I don't have to look at my bank account to see if God provides. I know God is my provider, no matter what the evidence says. It means that I don't look to my doctor's health report to find out if my God's a healer. Doesn't matter what the evidence says, I know God's my healer. He's my provider. He is my healer. That's the verdict. So no matter what the evidence says, I can find greater evidence in the death and resurrection of Jesus. When he died for me, he settled it out of court. I don't need to take it to a judge or a jury. I already know he loves me. The verdict first, evidence second. Faith is not the absence of doubt. You'll have doubts. You'll have doubts. But your doubts don't have to be dead ends. I've got doubts, but I trust them anyway. Faith is not saying I won't ever walk through the valley of the shadow of doubt. Faith is saying I won't die there. I'll press on. I'll keep going. I'll keep loving. I'll stay faithful. I'll cling to the promise. Even if I'm thrown into the fire, I am not going to serve your God. Even if he doesn't, I'm still not going to serve your God. I want to invite knowing the worship band to come up. This thing called the Bible, it's amazing. I've read that book. I didn't watch the movie. The book was better. <laughs> I have my doubts. If there aren't times when you've doubted reading the Bible, I don't know if you've read the Bible. My doubt is the evidence of my growth. The closer I get to Jesus, the more questions I have. It's, he's inexhaustible. Maybe you've thought that I can't ask this question or I can't express this doubt at church. You can at this church. And next week we're going to have a time of that. The sermon will be these questions that people have sent in and asked, and you can even do so today. And you use your bulletin, you can drop it off at the info kiosk, you can leave it anonymous, or you can put your name to it. This is a place that's safe to wrestle with our doubts. Richard Rohr says this, Faith is patience with mystery. That's so beautiful. If you've never doubted God, you would be him, and you'd end up worshiping yourself. There is a benefit of the doubt. There is a benefit to wrestling, struggling through the life of faith. You might end up having a limp like Jacob when he wrestled with God, but you'll never be the same. Prodigal church is a safe place to wrestle, to question. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you're near to us even in the midst of our doubts, even in the midst of our questions. I thank you, God, that certainty isn't equated to faith. Thank you, God, that you're big enough for our questions. 
And for those of us who are in this room who have left questions tucked underneath the mattress in the recesses of our soul for fear of them coming to light, you see beyond those, God. You see beyond how gifted we are at hiding our questions. And so God, I pray that we'd be able to be honest about our doubts. That doubt can be essential to our spirituality, authentic spirituality. The doubt sometimes is not something to fear, but something to let out. And it can force us to reaffirm certain convictions. It can force us to new convictions. But Jesus, let us not be scared of truth. Let us not be scared of seeking answers. God, your word says in Jeremiah 29, 13, that you will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all of your heart. So God, help us to do that. Thank you, God, that even in the midst of our dark nights of the soul, even in the midst of our times of God, where are you? It feels like I'm talking to myself and no one's up there answering. That God, you can, as we look back, we can see how we clung to you in a new way that you're making beautiful things in us and out of us, that we might be messed up, but you love us. Help us to have the verdict that God is my healer, God is my provider, and no matter what the evidence suggests, we already know and we believe it in the face of uncertainty. Thank you for that, Jesus. Thank you for the way you make beautiful things out of us, broken and all. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand as we close with this song together.